0: Good morning. Great to have all of you here this morning. My name is Pastor Carlos, and I'm always delighted and privileged to be up here with you. I don't know if, in case you missed it, just so you guys know, it was Noah who built the ark, and he didn't build it to save the whales. Just want to make sure we understand that. But the point of that is discerning God's will, which is what we're going to talk about this morning, can be a little convoluted, a little difficult at times. In fact, I once read the true story about a man who wanted to be guest sailing aboard a submarine. And before he got on board, he went to the captain and he asked him, hey, listen, is there any special rules or any regulations or anything that I need to know before we set sail? And this is what the captain replied. He replied by asking him how good his mental arithmetic was. And he says, here is the golden rule to submarine service. Essentially, one of the most important things you can do is to count the number of times that we dive, And then you add to that the number of times that we surface. And you take that total and you divide by two. And if there's a one left over, here's the golden rule of submarine service. Do not open the hatch. (laughs) Which sounds simple enough, right? But as you can tell, the difference between doing it or not doing it could be the difference between life and death. And for me, I've noticed that there often comes a time, in fact, not often, always comes a time in a Christian's life, meaning you and I, where we all ask ourselves this question. What is God's will for my life? Anybody ever asked themselves that question? I th- hopefully all of you, right? But you're just too shy to raise your hand. I didn't really ask that question till I was about in my 30s. I mean, I did ask it before that, but I wasn't really seeking God's answer. Instead, I subscribed to what I call the Jeremiah 29, 11 model. I think some of you guys know that scripture. It's a it's a very popular. It's highly quoted. And by the way, I'm not taking anything away. It is a beautiful scripture and and. And here's what it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans for a hope and a future. And, and for me, I mean, that's an amazing scripture. I'm, I'm in. Who doesn't want to prosper and have a hope and a future all with no harm? That was me. It's not until you really study that scripture and you realize the context of how it was written it is the prophet Jeremiah writing to the Israelites who were captive in Babylon at the time. And this is essentially what Jeremiah is telling them right before he says, Jeremiah 29:11. 11, for I know I have the plans for you. He says, listen, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. And not only that, I want you to make yourselves comfortable living there. I want you to build houses. I want you to plant gardens and eat what they produce. I want you to marry and have sons and daughters. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And by the way, God has a plan for you. And I'm thinking, what happened to the not to harm you part? Because being in captivity, to me, sounds like like a harm part. And as you keep reading, then you realize that during those 70 years, some amazing things happened during that 70 years of captivity. Some of the most beautiful stories that we read in the Bible come from that period. Some of the most amazing Old Testament books come from that period. In fact, one quick story is the, the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and the billy goat. That's him. The billy goat, right? It's a lot more fun to say that. Abednego. You know, those are the guys that, that, that were there in captivity during those 70 years. And if you read that story, it encouraged us to know and stand up for what we believe and to stand up for God. Those three guys went on to be some of the best administrators in that province. And because of that, they are an inspiration to all of us, especially young adults. And think about Daniel. Daniel was also captive in Babylon during those 70 years. And those of you that have read Daniel know that there's a lot of prophecy in his book and some amazing things, but most notable about some of the amazing things that God can do through the part that we feel that is harm is the fact that Daniel, because he was able to interpret the dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar, he was made to ruler over that whole province of Babylon. Isn't that amazing to you? And because of it, Daniel and his help, even the king, King Nebuchadnezzar was able to believe in God, even more amazing to me. And then check this out. Some of the amazing Old Testament books that were written, we're talking about 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, some of the Psalms, they were all written during that 70-year period. So all of a sudden it starts to sound like God had a plan, didn't he? We may not see it right away, But if we remain obedient and we trust like we talked about last week, we'll see it come to fruition. So for me up until that point, I'm still talking about in my 30s. I'm going to get to this point. So it's going to take about two hours. So get comfortable. Those of you that have Super Bowl plans, cancel them. We're going to be here a while. Up until that point, I trusted that God was going to bring good and here's the key out of my plans. You see, at that time, I came to church, I worked, I prayed, I went to work, and, and, and I asked for his many blessings based on Jeremiah 29, 11, that that God would be, that would prosper my plans, that he would give me a hope and a future, all with no harm. But I never really bothered to ask God what his will for my life was. The idea of that God had a specific purpose for me, not just the general purpose of good plans, didn't really impact me until I read Ephesians 2.10. And Ephesians 2.10, this is what it says, For we are God's workmanship, another word for workmanship is handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good, what? Works. This is the interactive part, that's it, no more. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. So all of a sudden, God's plans for my life are not just about me. Now he's telling me that God has something that he wants me to do. And guess what? This morning, you should know that God has something that he wants you to do as well. And just like the golden rule aboard a submarine, knowing God's will for our life, if you really think about it, it's actually not not that hard. It's quite simple, in fact. Because as Christians, we know that we are called to believe and trust and have obedience because God has a purpose and he has a plan that he wants all of us to fulfill. In fact, God has said very basic things about his will for your life. But before I get started on that, let me tell you the most important thing that we need to get straight this morning. The one that if you don't get right, nothing else matters. Is The the fact that he wants you to be saved. And we all know that scripture. We're probably going to see it on TV somewhere plastered, you know, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Until we meet that first will for our life, until we meet that purpose for our lives, nothing else matters. And if you don't belong to Christ this morning, I encourage you to make that decision this morning, to get that straight. And folks, we've all gone through a couple of weeks of knowing who's passing away and all these things that are happening around us politically. So all I would tell you is that I would encourage you to make that decision sooner than later. But once you belong to him, there are things in his word that specifically say, this is God's will for your life. And in summary, he basically wants you to live a special kind of life. In fact, take a look at 1 Thessalonians 4.3, which says that you should be sanctified. That scripture goes on to say, it is God's will. That's what the scripture says. This is what you, God's will for your life is that you should be sanctified. And folks, the word sanctified is just Christianese for purified or cleansed. He's saying you should be purified And that passage goes on to say and tells us that we live that special kind of life, that we will be purified if we do a few things, if we are sexually pure, and that if you treat others with honesty and kindness. So when you and I belong to God, he expects our lives to reflect that special relationship that we have with him in such a way that we would be an example or a model for the world to see. That is God's will for your life. 1 Peter 2.15 tells us that we should do good. That scripture says for, again, it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. It is telling us that we should live such decent and obedient lives that even those who hate Christ won't have anything to accuse us of. In fact, if you think about it, I would encourage all of us to write that scripture down and put it next to our computer and we read it and contemplate it every single time we're about to post on social media. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us that we should give thanks. That scripture says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will. He wants us to live grateful lives, focus on God's blessings. I mean, honestly, as believers of Christ, we shouldn't be known as the main complainers. The reality is that if the love of Christ is in us, we should start to see things from a different perspective and will be less prone to complain. Think about that for a second. Have you guys ever met a Christian and you said, hey, how's it going today? Well, they're like, you're all bothered. I just, you know, I hate life. My wife left me. I mean, you have this long list and like, You believe in Christ. There's nothing wrong with going to troubles, but we should have the love of Christ in us that makes us look at things a little different. So all of a sudden, God's will for your life are three things. Be purified, do good, and give thanks. And folks, those are basic, simple, golden rules, right? And there's a lot that the Bible tells us about God's will for our lives. But those passages specifically say, this is God's will for your life or my life, but what about the questions that we all really want to know, the questions that are more for me, what is God's will, that is for every Christian, right, to be purified, do good, and the, the third one, and, and, but what about me, and we all have a question, whatever it may be, what about, does he want me to marry that person, is that God's will for my life, Or what about one that I hear over and over again? Should I move out of California, God? Is that your will for my life? What college should I go to? Should I quit my job because I'm not happy? And should I find another one? What kind of ministry should I have that would please you, God? So for those difficult questions about God's will for your specific life, I bought this little gizmo here. You guys recognize this before? This magic eight ball? I actually had friends that uh, use this to discern God's will for their life, and it's pretty cool, it works, you should, every, all of you should get one, but this is what they say they do, that you hold it in two hands, and then you ask the question as you shake the magic eight ball, and you ask things like, are the 49ers going to win today, <laughs> and you turn it over, and you wait for the answer, and it says, it is decidedly so, Hmm. magic eight ball, thank you for that, and, but what about, like, hey, should I move out of California, this is for me, not for you, not that I'm moving, and it says, I look not so good. Okay, so (laughs) if I don't like that answer, I just shake it again until I get the answer that I want, right? Well, obviously, this isn't a very spiritual way of discerning God's will for my life, is it? And I I just want to be perfectly clear. I'm poking fun at this. I actually never owned one of these. I just bought it just because I thought it was cool. And anyway, but... This, this is no different than palm reading or horoscopes to try to discern God's will for your life. And we, we all know that, that that's not okay with God, right? In case you were wondering. <laughs> let, me, let me just tell you, God was very specific about his will for your specific life. He said very specific things. And he doesn't tell you, yes, you should move out of California or no, you shouldn't move out of California. But this is what his word says in Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Let's pause there for a second. This scripture is assuming that you're already conforming to the pattern of this world. And I'm not going to ask you that question, but you decide if you are or not. But to me, he's talking to me, I have a tendency to conform to the pattern of this world. And then he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then and only then. Because you transform your mind after that, then you will be able to test and approve God's will for your life. You do those things, you want to know God's answers to those hard questions that we ask ourselves, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you will be able to discern and test God's will for your life, his good and his pleasing and his perfect will. I should have received an amen. You see, the key to the golden rule to learning God's will for your life is to make yourself ready. That is the golden rule. Make yourself ready to where God, so when God wants you to do something, so when God wants to use you, and, and we get ourselves ready by a variety of things. We, we all do it a little differently, and it's okay. But I'm talking about things like, obviously, reading the Word, opening up the Bible, going to church. Like, you guys got that one this morning. You know, you, you put that first and not the Super Bowl. Proud of you. You attend a small group because it's hard to do everything on a Sunday. So you, you do it midweek, and then you start to serve, whether it's here or outside of these walls. And then you start to give, and, and, and all of a sudden, you start to soak up. God's thinking into your mind. You start to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In fact, that is exactly how some of the great men and women of the Bible prepared themselves for God's purposes. I mean, think about King David. We all know the story of King David and Goliath. And we usually think of King David as just appearing out of nowhere and taking on that giant Goliath, right? But in reality, you see, David had been preparing for that confrontation way before that fateful day. As a boy, David used to spend his days out in the field watching his father's sheep. But he wasn't just there idly spending his time just gazing at the sheep. And at night, he was just stare at the stars and post on Instagram and say, we are whatever, right? That's not what he was doing. No, the Bible tells us in Psalms that he had been spending his time meditating on the law of God day and night. Isn't that amazing? So much so that he was involved in this activity that he began to write songs, and he began to write, we know them as as Psalms, as songs that spoke of the glory of God because of the scripture that he was reading out on the field. And he, he was so good at it because he kept meditating that King Saul, who had a tortured mind at the time, would bring David as a little boy into the temple courts, I mean to the king's courts, so that he would ease his mind by singing of those songs and reading of those psalms. Because he was out on the field doing that. So when David went out into the field of battle against Goliath, he had already constantly been exposed to God's mindset. So much so that King David, well, at the time he was a boy named David, was so offended by the taunts of Goliath that he went out into the field and he declared these famous words that that said, you come against me, And I could almost see it in his voice. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. He was probably angry that somebody was taunting his God. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty and God and the God of armies of Israel that you have defiled. I mean, some of us need to take that into and say it to the enemy that is attacking us right now. You see, David had allowed God's thinking to transform his own. This scripture that we read in Romans 12, 2, that do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, tells us that there is this kind of thinking that competes with God, and it calls it the pattern of this world. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, except that to know that you and I should agree that the world constantly tries to conform us to think the way it does. Images, the books we read. TV we watch, the movies we watch, the video games that we play, the friends that we keep, and on and on and on. And folks, I get it. I'm there. I, it's shinier over here than, than, than doing it this way. And I don't mean to say that all of those things that we do are bad, but the point is that we need to be careful, and we need to set limits and boundaries on the t- type of things that we're going to let into our home, and most importantly, let into our minds, and even more important than that, into our children's minds. The key to learning God's will for our personal life is to soak God's thinking into our minds so that we will be ready for when He wants to use us. We already know He wants to use us, for we are God's workmanship created to do good works. Paul talks about the kind of thinking that will always allow me to be in God's will. And we find that in 2 Corinthians 8.5. He, at this point, he is praising the actions of the churches in Macedonia. And he tells us, he tells them, and he tells you, and he tells me, they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with, we're talking about God's will. In other words, the churches in Macedonia were doing the will of God because they put God First, you want to discern God's will for your life? His good, pleasing, and perfect will? Put God first. So let me go back to the original set of questions that I asked earlier. I'm going to not use the magic eight ball anymore. Does God want me to marry this person? Well, does that person believe in God? Does that person please God? Should I move out of California? Well, can I serve God more there? Will I have more of a ministry there than I do here? What college should I go to? Will that college prepare you for service to God? Should I quit my job and get another one? Can I use that job to witness and serve others? Oh my God, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? That's what this series is about. This is our uncomfortable things to ask ourselves. I mean, I want my plans. What kind of ministry can I do? Well... The kind that you can do right now. The churches in Macedonia, it got really quiet in here, I'm sorry. The churches in Macedonia were doing God's will because they put God's priorities first. And because of that, God used them, which tells us that if we put God first in our decision-making, God is always going to use you And he's going to find a way. And here's the key to those questions that we have for ourselves. He is going to find a way to reveal his will for your life. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I say that because I think there's a lot of people that are afraid that they're going to miss out on God's will for their life. As if uh, God's will is a bus station. And if they show up to the bus station late, God's going to take off without them. And I want us to understand something, that if God wants you and I to do something, especially if he wants us to do something special, there's no chance that you're ever going to miss the bus. Do you guys remember that uh, what God told Jonah to do? Jonah's the guy that was swallowed by the whale, unlike the video that says it. But God commanded Jonah to go preach to the city of Nineveh, to convict it of its guilt, and then to bring it to repentance. So what does Jonah do? He gets on a boat headed in the opposite direction of Nineveh. He wanted nothing to do with the city of Nineveh. He knew that the city was wicked and he knew that if he went to them and he preached to them that they might repent and then God would spare them. But the, the key here is that, and, or the truth about this story is that Jonah didn't like the people in Nineveh. He wanted them gone from existence. He wanted them annihilated, and he knew that if he went there, God may spare them. Jonah, you see, defiled the will of God. Not only did he miss God's will, he actively refused to do it. So what does God do? He takes him on a fishing expedition and explains his will a little more succinctly. My point is that if God wants you to do something, he's going to find you anywhere. He is going to reveal his will for your life. You don't have to look for it that much. You just have to be ready, willing. No, there isn't a place that you can go that you can ever hide from God. And I can tell you from experience, if there's a guy that knows a little bit about hiding, it's me. And I think you guys have heard of my story. Uh, I came to Canyon Hills to hide out for a little bit when God called me the first time. And then he tells me to go to Juarez and folks, We have a church down there. We go there four times a year. You need to know, and I've told you this before, I want to know part of that. Who wants to go do that? Who wants to go to Juarez? Send me somewhere else. Until God took me on a fishing expedition and explained things, his will, a little more succinctly. The key is that always be available for God to use you. You know, the, the, the really neat thing about God's purpose and will for our lives, and it really is neat, and this is what I've learned, is that when He wants you to do something. And when you ask those hard questions about God's will for your life, God is going to prepare you for his will. God prepares us for all of our tasks by giving us special abilities that are oftentimes not natural to us. He equips and he prepares us because he knows that if he empowers us, we're able to do the task. In fact, Paul reminds us that we have different gifts According to the grace given us. I know a guy here at church, uh, I won't mention his name because he might get embarrassed, but this guy many years ago comes to me and says, Okay, because I was always bugging him of joining a life group, and I, he says, Okay, I'll join your small group if you promise me never to call on me to speak, to pray. And I'm like, you got it. Come on over, you know, because I know, you know, don't worry about it. If God wants you to speak, teach, or even preach, not only is he going to prepare you for that, he's going to give you the desire to do it. So it's not up to me whether you speak or not. One day this guy comes into my office and he was wrestling with a few things about Christianity and his relationship and all kinds of things. And all he says is, will you pray for me? And I took that opportunity to say, no, but I will pray with you. And in the privacy of my office, we take this man that is completely an introvert, doesn't speak, and he has his first out loud prayer there. That was the beginning of his growth. After that, he realized that he was living with his girlfriend, and he asked her to marry her and married her. After that, he decided that it was time to step up to be a leader at the church and he became a leader of one of our key ministries. And he's still serving today. And all he needed to do was be willing to let God use him. So if you're willing to be obedient and you're willing to trust and take that step of faith, what you're going to find that that is God is going to provide the rest. You see, the God that we serve is capable of adding or subtracting whatever it is that you need to get you to where he wants you to go, that you would be In his will, because our God is a way maker. He is a light unto our path, the scripture says. All we have to do is give him our best, and he takes it and he makes something amazing out of it. I mean, think about our church. I am marveled, not because I'm here and work at this church, I am marveled at how God uses this church. Look around us. We have some beautiful, amazing, I know some of the pastors of some of these mega churches, they have su- such great things to offer. In fact, I'm not sure why you guys aren't there. You guys should go. They're, they're amazing. Yet, God asked us to go on a mission to Juarez. He asked us to go on mission trips to the Philippines. And, and we've been obedient. He asked us to go here and do that and start a little park. This, this, this little. By the way, for national standards, we're huge in the standards, we might be considered a little small. Yet, 15 to 20 years later, after just taking one step of faith, we have a network of churches in the Philippines and in Mexico and we have a, a school and we have a child care and we have... You guys! If God wants to use you, He's going to supply you with opportunities, resources to accomplish the will that He has given you specifically for your life, the question for us is: Will we be obedient to His will for our lives? You know, unfortunately, we tend to get—I should speak for myself. I tend to get discouraged easily when I don't see immediate results. We're a society of—we want it now. It's like we're in a hurry, and you're going to find you—you will agree that God isn't right. And yet when things don't happen our way and we see obstacles and things get in the way, especially when it comes to church, we tend to give up or just go somewhere else. You know, our church could have done that too. There was several years in Mexico that we could have stepped away from it because of safety. There are several years that we could have stepped away from the Philippines because of leadership issues, but we didn't. We stuck to discerning God's will to be obedient and to trust and to be faithful. And we've seen the results of that Twenty years later. And I also noticed in scripture that God did the same thing. He took a great deal of time working his will and the people that he used. I mean, think about Moses in the wilderness for 40 years, being prepared to lead the, the Israelites. The disciples of Jesus, they themselves spent three years being prepared to have a ministry. Abraham, He gets a promise that he's going to have a son and he has to wait till he's 100 years old. And we can't wait till tomorrow. I want to know now. Jacob wanted to marry this beautiful woman that was in his heart. He had to wait 14 years. Sometimes we don't even want to date a girl for three months and we want to marry her. Nothing wrong with that, by the way, I guess. Even Jesus had to wait to start his own ministry. The Bible says, Jesus himself said that My time has not come yet. He wasn't ready for whatever reason. He hadn't started it until that day. Again and again through the Bible, God often took a great deal of time preparing his servants, you, for their jobs, for God's will for your life. Because of that, Christians have been known to get impatient because we want them to do something right now. So here's the deal this morning. You want to discern God's will for your life? Soak up his thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You put God first, and you're going to find that God is going to prepare you. You want to discern God's will for your life? Seek him, and you will find. In fact, I started with Jeremiah 29. By the way, that's one of my favorite scriptures. But when you keep reading that, the verses after 11 is 12 and 13, and this is what it says. Then you will call upon me and come. And pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when, I search, when you search for me with all of your heart. Can we do the same? Can we search for him with all of our hearts? So as we close this morning, know that for you to know the will of God Is going to be your greatest knowledge. But for you to do the will of God is going to be your greatest achievement. So, in light of that, here's what I would encourage us to do this morning as a result of hearing His truth, not my words, but His words, that you would decide today to take one step of obedience. That you would just come before God and say, God, I've been searching that you would prosper my plans and it's a beautiful thing. And he does it because he loves us so much. But maybe it's time for you to ask, what is your will for my life? And that you would agree that if God reveals that step, that you will be obedient in taking it. That you will search for him with all of your heart that you would be able to discern and recognize the will for your life because you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and that you would agree this morning and take that challenge because it is a challenge that you will take that step of faith. If you do that, not only will you find that Jesus will respond to you, even this morning, but you're going to find that God is going to be your way maker. He's going to be your miracle worker in time of need he's going to be your promise keeper he's going to be the light unto the darkness in your homes in your families because that is the God that we serve will you pray with me Lord we are humbled before you Lord for some of us we've never really asked what you want us to do we just ask for what we want to do. And Lord, you love us so much that that's okay. You bless us and you bless us indeed. And you give us the desires of our hearts, Father. And you allow us to have the jobs we want and the houses we want. And and it's all a beautiful thing. And we thank you for that. Lord, but there are some here this morning that want something different for their lives because they recognize that you want them to do something. Lord, and as they ask those difficult questions about your will for their life, whether they move, change, whatever it is that they, we all contemplate in all the different seasons of life, Lord, I pray that you would be faithful to your word that we just heard, heard right now. Lord, and that you would come before every single believer right now and reveal to them what is that step, the next step that you want them to take. And if that's you this morning, if God is asking you to just take one step of obedience, maybe you don't even know what it looks like, Maybe you're a little afraid of what it may be like I was. I just want to encourage you this morning and I want you with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to make a public commitment that you are agreeing this morning to take that step of obedience and faith. And if that's you without nobody looking, can you just raise your hands so that I can pray for you? I see your hands. Thank you. I see your hands. Praise be to Jesus. Gloria a Dios. Hallelujah. Anyone else? Don't worry, you're not going to miss the bus. Father, you saw those hands. Lord, you are faithful. You are worthy to be praised. You are our way maker, Father. You're our miracle worker, Lord. I'm so thankful for that part. You keep your promises, Lord. Bless these people. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen.